Hello, everyone. We are the RP Geeks, and this is the D&D Brief. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's one of our many shows with very cool names. Um, we were very proud of the pun, D&D Brief. Um, and it we is, started from the pun and work. Yeah, we started, we started, we started there. <laughs> um, and we are sort of debriefing on our on our last D&D session, um, which we had last week, um, but with a science-y flavour um, in that we're talking about some science topics that came up on our actual play show. Um, so uh, let's introduce ourselves first off. Um, hi there, my name is Sharmini. Um, I use she, her pronouns. I'm a science uh, video journalist, uh, Simon. Hello, I'm Simon. I use he, him pronouns and I am a wannabe science journalist, but I mostly just get stuck making videos on YouTube and uh, streaming on Twitch like I'm doing right now. Uh, Emily? I'm Emily. I am a science video journalist and I play D&D a lot. Ali? Uh, I... I guess I'm more on the audio side of things at the moment of the science journalism, that whole thing. So yeah, stick that up your microphone and smoke it. I don't know. Excellent. Excellent. I really We've hope this well is how today. you introduce yourself at every event. Like that's, you know, I'm welcome to the stage. Yeah, with Charlie that Jennings. level of like the, the actual sound of me turning away. Was that actually, uh, <laughs> no, like I'm walking away. So, um, as I said, we have our D&D actual play adventures, which are on alternate uh, Wednesdays. Um, and um, Emily Bates, you were asking beforehand whether we should sum up. I feel like there are only a couple of things in, that's mm. happened that's actually relevant yeah. um, to, mm. to what we're going to talk about today. So one of the things was actually from the episode before last, just to confuse things. It's my fault, oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Um, which was our adventurers um, went to stake out a, a location where crime was going to be happening. Find the crime and fight the crime. <laughs> Find the crime. And they ended up just sitting there and waiting for a long period um, in the cold. Um, and uh, so in a little bit, we're going to be talking about sitting around in the cold and how that's great. Um Disclaimer, do not sit around in the cold. <laughs> like, the answer not, is don't without do Without adequate preparation. We're not 19th century physicians being like, go and take in the sea air. It's very bracing. Oh, sea air is lovely, Wait, though. I feel like... What? I, I'm, I'm, gonna come at, I'm coming out hard on this one. There are times <laughs> when you want to be out in the cold. Don't, Simon. When it's, when it's hot? Yeah, Maybe. when it's hot, for example. I'm totally <laughs> with you. Medical times. Ooh, I'm ready we'll, for this. We'll come, we'll come, come back, back to, to me. We'll come yeah, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. In the second half of the D&D brief. The second half of the D&D brief. Um, but the other thing that happened last session, which we were all so excited about, was oh, finally, happened. finally, finally, after, what was it, eight sessions? Well, no, no, six. Sorry. Yeah. We finally got to level up our characters. Level up. From level one. Level two, baby. Level yeah, two. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it was such a wrench. Like I just, I loved you at that so oh so squishy level. I know you did. I, and, oh, it feels so it good. Like, it's going from preschool to reception. Just like oh, off you go. you're yeah. still pretty much useless. Oh. But let's just take you up a little bit. <laughs> so, does you anyone can look down on your level oneself? Want to for people who are joining us for the science and um, don't have a clue what all these Dungeons and Dragons things are? Does anyone want to explain leveling up? Hmm. Sounds like a DM job for me. That does sound like a DM job. I was wondering. I didn't want to put you on the spot, Ali. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, so um, 
my understanding, right, and everybody's going to have their own read of this, but is that uh, in 5e, at least, you have 20 possible levels, right, over the, you know, the whole course of human, uh, well, not just human, of any race's sort of power goes from 1 to 20. And when you get to level 20, you're essentially a god. And when you get to, when you're at level 1, you're just a little bit more sort of powerful than your average splurge wandering around on the street right so so splurge wandering around on the choice of words occasionally i get hypnotized by my own background like i sort of see myself i'm like checking to see that i look all right and i and the the bricks like draw me in and i just so you know, I'm trying here, <laughs> right? But it's, Ali, it's... Ali just cast hypnotic pattern on himself. Yeah, I, on Good myself. Good D and D reference, Simon. I'm so proud of you. Was... <laughs> Simon's learning D and D spells. I'm, I'm, st- I'm the new, the noob of the group. In case people can't tell <laughs> from our normal episodes. Bloop, bloop. Um, anyway, so as you, uh, for each of those different levels, you get sort of increasing powers. The game gives you either higher level spells or more attacks or generally just sort of raises your stat levels um so in order to go up a level you have to accrue experience that's how the gets the game mechanic that does it and to accrue experience you can kill baddies or you can achieve sort of notable things so you can have sort of story-based quests which you succeed in it and that will grant you this sort of leveling up ability um so the point well one of the things about dungeons and dragons is that you want to go through succeeding and then getting rewarded by leveling up and getting more powers so you can go and fight bigger things and have bigger adventures and then get rewarded from that and on and on and on and And each different subclass has different kinds of leveling up up there sort of leveling up tree is that is that just about cover it i don't know get more hp too but it's quantized. It's it's quantizing experience in life, basically. It mm. is. You know what? That's really interesting because there is... I'm sorry, Bates. Um, no, no, you go. This is great. Like, there's... Okay, qualitative and quantitative data, right? Qualitative data, it's when you... It's like one, two, three... Well, no, that's a bad example. The like apple, another apple, another apple, another apple. These are things which are indivisible, although apples could be divided. Bad example. Oh, my God. So... Um, there's almost nothing which is qualitative data if you really drill into it but quantitative data is when you can subdivide simon no sorry i've I've, sorry what happiness no because you can be different you can measure happiness on a scale of one to ten and suddenly it's quantitative data yeah but that's then inherently subjective yeah. It's not. It's not an objective. Quantify one. my happiness. Sure. I mean, it's objectivity and subjectivity are. You know, that's irrelevant to this quantitative qualitative divide. Like, no. What anyway, you're saying I is mean, you can you can quantize almost anything. Yeah. Not I that think it that's is quantitative. Yeah, that's that's, that's, a, that's yeah. a really good way of looking at it. Yeah. Maybe a quant like a quantum like a a, a oh, quark. God. That's a quantitative. You that's qualitatively different from another quark. You can't have like two bits of quarks, right? uh well yeah they're fundamental would be the sort of the, the way to put it 
point being, I feel like I've strayed here. You anyway, see, point we've being, we've these numbers, that, so everything has to be good. Simon raises yeah. a really good point, which is that as you go up the levels, it's a qualitative shift each time. Whereas in reality, you would assume it would be a quantitative, like slow easing up the up the sort of power levels rather than a step change. Yes, I on. see. Yes. It's continuous rather than discrete. Thank yes. you. That's what I wanted mm. to say. And, but also, it implies that it's monotonic. Like, you only ever get better in D&D. There's no scope for getting worse. <laughs> That's, That's true. Totally true. You Unless you're a warlock, your god says awful. no. Has anyone ever done a, like, Tenet-style D&D thing where you start at level 20, and then, I don't know, it's like combat, and each round you go down by a like, level as you degrade. Isn't that Benjamin Button? Yeah, exactly. Or if you could work that into something, if you were like a cleric a challenge. and you were kind of going evil as you got further away from like the purpose of your god, maybe they'd give you less and less mm. power. Yeah. But presumably, if you were a DM and you were doing that, you would have you'd be on level twenty, but you'd only pit them against you know really crap shit baddies like goblins and stuff. Nah, like, put you them, put them, them you against a dragon <laughs> and say if you don't do all the damage in the first round, you're going to be fucked. Farsight does make a very good point in Twitch chat, saying that the deck of many things can lose you levels. So yes. there is a mechanic, but it's not exactly it's not bit like common. It's not built into the game to degrade and over time. Can I can I jump in very briefly? Just this this might not be a problem, but Ali, your new microphone is beautiful. Yes, you're very. It close is to plosive it. city. Um, every oh, time you say a okay. P. <laughs> Take me down to the plosive city. <laughs> no, nothing. So I'm really up actually on the thing. It's work. Uh, Say Peter Piper um, and all that about his peppers. Uh, pera, 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 mm, still a little bit, um, still puppy. Priapic proprietary <laughs> pieces of. Yeah, priapic is just oh. to do with a big dick, right? That's better. What? Priapic. Well, Priapus it... was a was the Roman god that had an enormous Pudding. member, right? We are. No, never heard god? of Priapus. We are straying more than Sorry, right. Right. straying. Straying from God's light well is what we're doing. Well done, Ali. Thank you. Sorry, I That's just wanted better. to, before, before okay. we get too far in so that our podcast listeners Am I even audible at this, at this range? You're quieter. Okay. Should I turn myself up? I'll turn myself yeah. up. Yeah. Well, is it yeah. chucking it down with rain where you are today? Uh, it might do at any juncture. I live essentially in it's, a rainforest. It's the weather. <laughs> in England. <laughs> what you said you can get temperate rainforest temperate rainforest i was hearing about this yeah like washington yeah, state i was in one are you yeah yeah they have them in new zealand right they have this it's beautiful right it's unlike like a like a rainforest sorry twitch um but like they have a rainforest where it's all the trees that you sort of think about and remember from sort of the uk um but instead of you know there being lots of kind of like birds and monkeys and stuff it's more like it's everything is covered in moss it's moss and just greenery every everything is green and like a really violent like lime green in your face it's unbelievable and cold but beautiful so leveling up in dnd okay we're doing it now <laughs> okay <laughs> oh wow that was there's just been some beautiful straying today and i've enjoyed it a lot because it means i didn't have to talk but, but uh, you've been researching hard. I have. you've been looking everything up and, and understanding the science behind leveling up in D&D. And and well, so how do you, how would you explain five it? minutes <laughs> how would you explain the science of yeah, leveling up go, your justify it so something that came up when we were talking about leveling up uh, last time someone mentioned the ten thousand hours to become an expert mm. um in in chat yes. And I wanted to talk a little bit on that because there's some interesting stuff. So it kind of, it became popular because a guy called Malcolm Gladwell put out a book called Outliers. And um, 
he it was all based on previous research that studied people who were like the absolute top of their field so like really good violinists they looked at the Beatles they looked at um athletes and things like that and they found that the thing they had in common was they'd all put in 10,000 hours or more um dedicated practice and they went great okay clearly if you do 10,000 hours that's how you become the best at something um and then this kind of over the years has kind of been diluted the message a bit and I think it kind of turned into this thing of oh if you want to be good at something you need to put in 10,000 hours now there are Is that not what you just said they said you become the expert if you do 10,000 hours great Sounds but great. what you have to remember is these are the people yeah. who are at the absolute top of their field mm. so they're doing it as a job so they are automatically putting in a lot of hours just by just by doing their thing right okay. and um there, no, no, I looked at there are 8,760 hours in a year. So even if you practiced all day, every day and didn't sleep for a year, you're not going to become an expert in something. And there are a lot of things. And, a lot, and since then, a lot of people have like looked into this 10,000 hour thing. Now, practice is absolutely a very important part. If you want to be good at something, you should probably practice. I'm not giving anyone excuses to not do their piano scales. Sorry. <laughs> but it's not the be all and end all. So, for example... It, it basically works out as like percentages. So the majority, uh, in, sorry, in another study, the majority of the best violinists had accumulated less practice than the average amount of the good violinists. So to get to like the top level, you hmm. kind of, it seems that like you have an innate oh, no. thing. And, it all, and there's been twin studies and things done, like um, which all kind of point to this. Some people are just going to be better at certain things. So basically, things. like if you're not just automatically good at something, you probably shouldn't really bother trying. Never try. Yeah, <laughs> just don't do not do it. That's the message I would like to put out there to everyone. No, no, I want it to be different. No, this I've got a positive message. <laughs> oh, around. OK, OK. Um, the idea is like you these the 10,000 hour people were the best, like the best in the world. And I don't. Well, I wouldn't. I know I would quite like to be the best in the world at something but I don't expect to be and actually I'd be quite happy being pretty pretty good at things I mean you guys played Mario Kart with me at the weekend I would like to be better at Mario Kart I'm very good if you were about to say you were pretty good at Mario Kart I would I will I will throw the controller at you from here like <laughs> I was amazing at Mario Kart Charmony played Mario Kart for I the first time and was talent. really really good yeah that is true you did have an innate talent yeah. for it yeah yeah you also had all the assists on. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> we're not gonna. Wait, so you're saying you don't need to be level 20 at the things you do, but you want to be at least level three because level one sucks. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. <laughs> that's kind of what you've been saying. <laughs> I just think the, the 10,000 hour rule, it kind of perpetuates this like idea that we can all be great at anything that we put our minds to, which can actually be like quite detrimental to people's sanity, including my own. Like when I was younger, I wanted to be the best at everything I did. And if I wasn't, I would like not be really like mad at myself and, you know, classic, you know, high achiever turning into anxious adult kind of, um, yeah. So but, but, but based on, but I find that interesting that that's based on um, like working hard. Cause I, I found that after uh, there was a certain point, I think a lot of people have the experience where you're quite good at things and you don't have to try. And then mm. you hit the point where you have to try and you're like, what the fuck is this? Fair. This is not I what I said. Like, no. No, that's a good, yeah, that's no, a good, but, but then that kind of also plays into it, right? You know, you would just, I mean, I think I, I was the same, like up until a certain age, I was just, I didn't have to do any work and it was all fine. But 
again, that kind of, when you get bad at something, then you think you need to work really hard. And it kind of perpetuates the myth that people sort of rise up through society based on, I'm confusing what I'm saying in my head, but like, do you know what I mean? Like you It's based on how much money so your parents have. That's literally <laughs> That's the it. primary indicator of success. Not about skill. It's not Bad. about work. It, it, so it, none it, of us should try. The money gets <laughs> to the point where you can apply the effort in an intelligent, consistent way. Yes, if you don't exactly. have that, then you don't have that booster. It's the, the money, parents' money is the solid rocket boosters of, of like success, of rocketry yeah. success. Yeah, blind fish ideas in Twitch chat. Um, does 10,000 hour rule also lead to some forms of ageism as a younger practitioner cannot possibly achieve 10,000 hours until older? Justification, mm. older equals better. And like, you get kids who come in and beat chess grandmasters. Yeah. And I don't have any data on like how many hours they've put in. It's probably a lot, but I bet they haven't done 10,000. Whereas that chess grandmaster almost definitely has played 10,000 games of chess. Also, if the last I mean, few the years have taught us anything, it's that a couple of hours of Googling can turn you into an expert in literally anything. <laughs> like, you know, the 10,000 hour uh, expert rule or, you know, just a couple of hours of Googling, say two hours ago, you might have just started <laughs> reading some articles. That's Who knows? But also, you know, could we fix a lot of the anti-vax problem if we just said to people, look, you can really understand this. We spend 10,000 hours Googling and then they disappear for a bit. But then like, well, how many years later you're like, oh, this problem's come back to roost. Because <laughs> <Like>, <laughs> then they actually understand it. But then if they actually understood it, you'd hope they'd... they'd... Well, no, but that implies you can get a proper education from Googling, which... which... What if you isn't. Well, it's a bunch of facts. It leads to the question of, like, are we educating people... <laughs> Yeah, thanks to this are we week's sponsor. <laughs> in Googling, as in, are we are we teaching people facts or are we teaching people to be able to learn? Um, whether that's yeah. teaching like online skills about how to find information or but yeah. and there's also all this... sorry, go on. That's also the case though with leveling up in D and D, right? Because it's like individual experiences that just add up to give you experience. It's not like a big arc of I'm slowly going to learn how to get better at this thing. It's I do this thing X number of times and that equates automatically. To yeah. Right. Mm. But so I was thinking about this. So, cause you would expect like a curve, right? But at some point you couldn't ride a bike and then there was a flip and you could, there was a time when like you, okay, you got probably got better, but there were, at some point you have to say you couldn't ride a bike. And at some point you had to have been on the side of could ride a bike. Yeah. So, but that go on. Well, I was going to say, like, that kind of touches on... Uh, <laughs> Ali and his oh, microphones. <laughs> don't take the roof off my house! It's suddenly incredibly dark in here, and this microphone is black. So, I, I don't know... Oh, I made okay. it. Um, so, the, the, um, yeah, because what we're kind of circling around is, right, is the quality of your 10,000 hours. Mm. Like, 10,000 hours practice doing what, right? But we're not saying and, you have to do 10,000 hours. And also 10,000 hours would be to get to like level 20, right? And to become a god. So we've just jumped up to level two. So we've done a little, a little, a little, little tiny jump. And so maybe we've done, I, I don't know if it, I don't think it, I, and that's the other thing. So I think it's, it's not a um, straight line on the 10,000 hours. Like you don't do one hour and get this good. And then you get a little bit that same amount better, you know, because I think but they say the, the first the leveling up. The first 20 hours Dude. of learning a new skill, you go like, you get infinitely better. Mm -hmm. Like you suddenly, you, and then after that, it yeah. levels out and it's actually like a lot harder to get like actually better at things, which yeah. would make sense with the leveling up in D&D &D because you need yeah. more XP to get from level say five to six than you did to get from level one to two. 
So that that fits with an actual graph that you But it's another problem though that you get better at well, obviously you choose, but you get broadly better. Yeah. From doing specific you could you could just this you know talk to people and then you could get stronger from that in DT. Yeah, and I think you kind of have to rely on so like infinity is an open book right i was thinking about this because i was like oh i can just explain how each of us would have like got our skills and then i realized i can't explain how either of you two got your skills because Sharmini's being sneaky and not telling anyone anything and uh simon has yet to explain how he's going to use his key so key not not for a door monk key like spiritual key right now uriel's just let me in, <laughs> let me in. Oh, i finally got my key <laughs> But I, th- I think it's 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 I like the idea of using that to just dis- to explain. So the things that can happen um, when you're leveling up, you could get a new spell. I know yes. and I can use this new spell or let's say it's a weird feature like key, which might need some more explanation. Well, but it's like a thing that you've learned. I feel that fits in with what you were just saying. Exactly. So so funny, you should say it. So like with wizards, right? Yeah. They're a really nice one for leveling up because if they yeah. gain access to more spells, wizards read their books to like <laughs> learn a new spell. Yeah. So that's great. That like Most that makes sense. One, right? They go, oh, I shall learn this new spell, and in the morning, I I know the spell now. I love what, that. That's nice and clerics, you could be like, I, I am mean, your patron. Here we don't really have spell. any patrons with our campaign, so we no, don't quite know how we're working that, in the know, world. But there, exactly. is, there are some things that do make sense within D&D lore as to why you're gaining new skills. And then you get sorcerers who don't even explain <laughs> how their magic works. And um, so it's very hard to d- Weird. decide. Weird. Um, <laughs> Sometimes they don't even say they're magical. They say they're a fighter or something. Right. And <laughs> that's a very, very our home game reference. <laughs> Damn it. Um, but and but and I was thinking about like fighting classes, right? So fighters, mm, that mm. kind of makes sense because you think they've been exercising, they've been fighting, and then they go to sleep, and the next day they find out. So at level two, they get action okay. surge, so they okay. can hit one extra time in a round, and that makes sense because if you practice for long enough, you eventually get strong enough and quick enough that you can swing your sword mm. an extra time in that six seconds. And I think yeah. that that makes sense to me and that so physical classes nice and neat well done physical classes nice and easy to they, we have we have to pretend that they've been like practicing in their downtime and they've been getting it up from like one and a bit to, to one and a half but yeah but like not good enough to use in combat and then like ah now i can yeah that or even like fellowship of the ring. combat sorry go on, sorry. But that scene in fellowship of the ring where boromir is training mary and pippin like that's him yeah it's a lot of strong montage They're getting the work. xp up, Level up the a lot of montage work a lot of great songs playing in the background <laughs> so careful, like, attack. i was also... looking into what the whoop no no ali sorry I, talk... I... You, you talk. I was looking into um the very briefly um what sort of brain rearrangement you can get uh if you're an expert versus a, a non-expert Ooh. am i going to steal your thunder bait? no no you could, yeah. when you mean like someone punches your head in because you're an expert and people don't like experts yeah yeah that's, <laughs> do you guys know depression. about chess boxing right you all yes. know about chess <laughs> no, boxing no no what's, what's chess boxing you don't know about chess boxing it's no, the you best take sport. someone's beast you get to punch them in the face is that what it is it's the ultimate sport. It's uh, I don't know which one goes first, but it's I think it's I think a, white normally like goes a, first. A minute of chess, and then a round of boxing, oh. and then a minute of chess, and then yeah. a round of boxing. And obviously, Isn't you know, boxing you, quite you, bad for your brain. Like it doesn't. Can't boxing cause actual brain I mean, brain damage. that's why it's yes. the ultimate sport. Uh, no, because you can win via knockout don't... or via um, checkmate. Exactly. So you could you could just be a, like a. 
you could front load all the chest stuff. We go in as like, you know, Gar- I was going to say Gary Barlow. Uh, I think Gary if you're Kasparov. front loading, you front load the boxing. <laughs> or, yeah, you go in like Mike Tyson. You're like, I don't care how good you are at chess. Because I, I feel like you can, anyone can probably, with a basic understanding of chess, can survive one minute of chess. Like, mm, if yeah. they take all of their time on the turn, <laughs> right? They yeah. can survive one minute. But yeah. if you put like, a little nerdy chess geek in a ring with Mike Tyson, they're going down very, immediately. Very dangerous. I and then the boxer wins. So I think you front load the boxing. And it's 10 turns of, of physical damage that they could be receiving, right? But think how much, think how much boxing training does it take to be able to survive a round of boxing? Well, it depends right? who you're fighting. Maybe not yeah. that much. If you just defend, you just defense up. And you're like, <laughs> if you train me for like 10 hours on good boxing technique to defend <laughs> blows, and then you put me in with like Hathor Julius Bjornsson, the mountain from Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Like, I would be okay. dead. <laughs> he would stomp on you. Still, <laughs> with some training, Simon, we could do this. Anyway, I've, lived, I've, I've trained for this thing. moment. Okay. My head gets <laughs> caved in in one punch. Okay, here's a question. If we did RP Geeks, chess boxing no, who would win i don't want to do boxing no boxing stop distracting from the research i Emily. want to know the answer to this question though who do people think would win and how i'm not very good at chess and I'm, i've never boxed i'm really bad at chess and i'm, I'm okay. really bad at chess. i've been punched once i got pu- i've been punched in the face once right and i got, I, I was actually in a fight with a like a friend i was like we're gonna have a fight and it's fine and and he was like, can we punch each other in the face? I was like, yeah, we can punch each other in the face. It's a fight. So we had this fight. He punched me in the face and I fell over in the fetal position. That was the first thing I did. And then and then the fight was over. Like, that's oh, the, it sounds like, a, like a, an 18th century gentleman's duel. Like, you were very it civil was. about like, no crotch shots, punches in the face are allowed. It's totally good. We'll, <laughs> we'll do this in New Jersey. Everything's legal there. And I really thought, like, Jersey. after the rules were down, I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm 100% ready for this. Yeah, comes at you first. Right, right. Brain okay. rearranging. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. What, is that a thing? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So this is why it's relevant. So, um, apparently, when you become uh, an expert in stuff, um, they were, originally they were a bit confused because it looked like the amount of activity in the parts of the brain which are sort of associated with what you're trying to do goes down. Um, and they were like, oh, it must be because everything's becoming more efficient or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens is actually a lot of it gets like um, sent out to different parts of the brain and in a much sort of broader network. So if you're a beginner, it's all localized in one some bits. And then if you're an expert, it sort of gets spread across the whole brain. Um, and I, I'm thinking that with the D&D, because it's sort of experience thing, right? It's about learning about your environment, about all the different cues, about what kind of things, the possibilities, all that sort of stuff. And I'm thinking with D&D, Sure, you're a fighter. You go through a, like a really intense, thinky, social sort of quest, and you suddenly level up at the end of it. That's utilizing different parts of the brain to link into what is your initial fighting style. Like maybe at the end of it, you know, you're not thinking, you haven't learned how to swing your sword hard, but maybe you have learned that, you know, people often have a little gap in their armor, like yeah. right here, because that's a sort of social mark of like success. You go, and then you know. Yeah, I like that. This, this culture with the little little armor hole was a mark of success. <laughs> little armor hole right right here. Right here. Yeah, just right here. symbol in this in this community. Right. For uh, for podcast listeners, we're pointing to the middle of our chests. Um <laughs> <laughs> six, 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 
it's weird. <laughs> the armor boob window, the classic. The boob window. No wonder this society fails. I mean, is, yeah. if I wear a shirt, you would have like it would be. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's with buttons are the worst. Anyway, um... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I just talked about that. Okay. Um, Sam Topic. Sam Topic is what happens when we do Sam Topic. We're going down the Death Star spectrum <laughs> right up. now, and Emily's just veering off left, right, and center. <laughs> Shamanis in the back going, stay on target. <laughs> Talk about experience. Stay on target. I want to stop. <laughs> no, bring the tangent up. came from behind. <laughs> so, <laughs> in. You got it. So, Infinity is a robot. Right. So my leveling up is actually quite easy because it's just either. And also she was damaged before. So it's her kind of like defragging uh, or if well, we, not that that's happened this time, re-downloading like yes. old programs and things like that. So yeah. my leveling up is really easy. And I built the character purposefully for that. that <laughs> I, have a, I have a question about a robot leveling up because when I uh, install updates on my computer, it's just the software. So is there a way that Infinity could get physically? Um, well, download more RAM. So better. Infinity, oh, I feel like it, it's not, no, I don't think it's, I'm not gonna call this a spoiler. Like, Ali, when, you when can shout really quickly. Like, Infinity hitting harder? was a higher level. Spoiler! Oh, Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> don't do that! <laughs> I couldn't Infinity, take the risk. Infinity had the ability to arrive on Braxagan 2 and terraform, and terraform the entire planet. planet. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe, the you don't know if it's the entire planet. She arrived on Braxagan 2 to terraform it, right? Yeah, yeah. She was very high. Current Infinity could not terraform a planet other than yeah. growing one daisy yeah. like every so often. You're, you're yeah. the so, Iron Giant. You crashed on the planet, and then like little Hogarth has to teach you yeah. how to be a person again. <gasps> Infinity's Iron Infinity Giant. going into the sky going, Superman. <laughs> Infinity. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so Infinity hardware is already in place for levelling up. But it's right. the program style. Nice. nice. Oh, you're, you're a Tesla. You're getting software updates that unlock, yeah. like, because you know how, like, no, they're all the same hardware, but you have to pay extra to get the bit of software that allows you to go faster or further mm. or whatever. Yes. Okay, and there's one more thing I want to talk about because I feel like I should wrap up pretty quickly. You level up in D&D after you take a long rest, mm. nine times out of 10. Yeah. And this kind of makes sense. If you think of deep learning, right? Machine learning, deep learning. They take in loads of inputs and they create a, a, a algorithm that is, will respond to new inputs based on the training data that it was trained with. Mm. And there's a theory that... Um, are you about to say that neurons change the strength of their connections as we sleep, like the weights and biases in the machine yeah. learning model do? Slightly, yes. But in a oh, specific that's way. Cool. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it's, sorry, it gets a bit complicated. So bear with me while I try and get my own brain around it. There is a problem with deep learning in that if you train it on too specific a data, if you give it something too different, it won't make any sense of it and it, it can't understand. And there is a theory that animals also have this problem it's called overfitting where everything fits in too neatly because really our lives are fairly structured like in a normal sort of response in a normal day-to-day -day. and something completely wild and different could potentially send us like haywire if we had no way of like recognizing that and there's this theory called the overfitted brain hypothesis and the reason that we don't do that 
it's because of our dreams. So when we go to sleep, you have dreams and they're all like weird data. So they're putting in like really out, your brain is giving you really weird data that's still kind of related in order to like reinforce the training data that you're giving it in your day to day. So your brain is creating its own like crazy new data points so that if something weird does happen, it can understand it's simulating it. Simulating outliers. But it's really cool. And I'm sorry it took me so long to explain it, but it's super cool. And so dreams are your brain's scary. attempt to avoid overfitting. Yeah, and there was a really good, yeah. So basically dreams are, they call them noise injections that serve the purpose of not enforcing what is learned when awake, but rather counteracting the overfitting associated with that learning. Like that. So basically going, hey, everything seems to be set in this one little bit. What if it wasn't? And it was actually, you were flying. So when we talked before about the Tetris effect of people like seeing and dreaming in code or dreaming in Tetris after they've done a lot of that thing. But every time we talked about that, there's something different about like when you're coding, for example, it's like you were seeing the code flying towards you or it was in like a different syntax or in Tetris, it was like seeing it in the sky. Is that a similar thing then? Is the brain rebelling and saying, you've done a lot of this thing. So why don't we vary it and we'll play Tetris on the sky instead of on a screen? Just, just in case in your life, suddenly the blocks start falling from the sky, your yeah. brain is ready. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm prepared for this. That's kind of what it is. And obviously you can't, so I think it's called domain randomization in AI when you give like really weird um, data into a thing to try and like help it, like be able to make sense of more stuff. But you can't do that when you're awake, because if your brain started being like, actually, that tree's a dragon and it's going to attack you, then that's not good for you. That's very bad perception um, from your brain's <laughs> point of view. So but that it's like, oh, but it's OK, because we go to sleep for eight hours and then we can like start reinforcing and re and give some weird data to like. Be able to handle anything. It's kind of because you, you, you hear stories of like ex, but you know, like geniuses in a field having visions in their dreams. Like Ramona Jan did like this with maths, and it's is that like you're taking the logic that you've, you've learned during the day of maths or physics or whatever it is, and then you're randomizing it a bit. But if you randomize it in a particular way that perhaps your brain is predisposed towards, then it like still makes sense within the logical constraints that you've learned, but it's just new. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, actually. And I hadn't really thought about it, about it in like those kind of like revelation dreams that people have. But that that does kind of thinking make sense. Outside the box in your day to day life is usually unhelpful, like thinking of random wacky things. It's not useful. But if every so often your brain has a go at it, it, it like sometimes could come up with something. Yeah. And I, my granny used to say, like, if you had a question and you didn't know the answer to it, you know you can remember it, you just need to remember it. Write it down before you go to bed and you'll wake up and you'll probably have thought of the answer. I wonder if that's a related thing. I mean, this is, this is a real like new theory and it's not being tested. There's no papers on it really. It's um, Eric Co Coel, I don't know how you say his last name, K-O-E-L, if anyone wants to look into it. It's the overfitted brain hypothesis. And um, it's fascinating. Yeah, like, and I've just found one of the notes I said that I wrote that I thought makes sense. Self-generated corrupted inputs. Mm. I just thought that was nice. Oh, that was really cool. Oh, and one of the examples was dreaming of flying may help you keep your balance while running. Yeah. And I don't, and right, that kind okay. of, and I was like, and that makes, but I mean, there's there's been a long time of like uh, a lot of research into like going to bed after you learn something to mm. like reinforce the neurons and the pathways mm -hmm. and things. But no one ever was really sure why. And we still have no idea really what's happening in the brain while we dream. But 
I, I just, I really like the idea that actually it's your brain being like, I'm going to make it all a little bit weird and then everything will be better when we wake up. That's great. Yeah. And then maybe so if good. you do that, you could know a new skill when you wake up. And that brings me to my question <laughs> that I want everyone to answer. Right. If you could learn one new skill when you wake up tomorrow and you just know it, what would you want it to be? So not like being really good at something that you already do, but you wish you were better, but like well, you could randomly new that you could suddenly do that you can't now. Yeah, I'd rather that. How how good do I get to be at this thing? You get to be good. Like you can confidently do it. You don't get to be like, I'm not going to give you like, you can Playing be the best in the world at poker immediately and you can win all the poker tournaments and become a millionaire. <laughs> but oh, you could be like bankrupt really good. Um, <laughs> piano Alley. Yeah, but I think I'd go for piano as well, actually. I, I think I would go for piano too. What? I, oh. I've always wanted to be able to play piano. I was. Is no one going to save the thinking... sex? Is no one going to say that? <laughs> no. I, I was good at something that I'll you don't guitar. currently do, or <laughs> I was thinking cooking, maybe. Ooh. Okay. I'm not sure. I like like the thing is that being good at something doesn't mean you enjoy it more. So you might not want to do it. Like, sorry, I'm not that educated. You, you want it to be like something, right, that you... Oh, no, I know what mine would be, because I'm obsessed you're, you're with... You're playing concerts Godfrey as well the piano, being like, fuck, <laughs> I hate this. I this stop. I want to be good at pottery. That would be mine. I've changed my mind. Oh, this explains the pottery throwdown comment over the weekend. Yes. I love okay. pottery throwdown. Everyone should watch it. But you said pottering. Pottering. Like, just sort of mooching <laughs> I just would like to be really good at pottering around. No, I'm good at that. Dancing, already. maybe. Nice. Nice. But I don't do it very often. I'm trying to think of something that would be actually useful, and none of these things would make a difference in my life. In my life, which is why I was thinking of cooking. Like, I oh, do I'd be I'd be good at speaking Spanish, so I can actually chat with my fiance in public about other people oh, and have them not cute. understand what I'm talking that's about. Cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's language. Spanish very widely spoken. I was going to say yeah. <laughs> not in this country. It's not English is is synonymous with monolingual. Like. If you, if you speak any other language in, in England, you're pretty much okay for most people around you. So, um, okay, cool. Good answers, everyone. Um, everyone, write in the comments on YouTube or on the podcast or on Twitch chat. Tell if us what you If you're listening to the podcast, like, write us a letter. If you're listening to the podcast, write us a review. <laughs> Five stars. Oh, yeah, that'd be and nice. I'd be really happy. That would be, that would be lovely. I mean, so basically, levelling up in that, D&D is like, hard to explain the science but yeah. that was pretty good I mean, kind of makes yeah. sense i think that was a pretty good job it. yeah great i'll take given, it given that I, my, my initial thought was like no nah, it doesn't make any sense just probably just a bit wrong really <laughs> probably <laughs> just know. gonna have to gloss over that one that's probably yeah, gonna have to be the yeah. one bit of our show that we gave no science there don't worry about it yeah well well some of that some of that is is related to my cold where i've just gone like eh, does that make sense not really yeah, D &D. But yeah. at some point we should probably do a really in-depth like maybe even a special on HP because I feel like there's mm. a lot around like what HP actually is because it's, it's not like hard. if you're at half health you haven't had half of your like body destroyed like no. it's not that because otherwise games would be over if anyone ever like really went down to zero and so we, well, we could talk about all the different systems that aren't D&D that have different ways of dealing with that kind of thing which is we interesting could. you know we could. are there any other really problematic mechanics in D&D apart from I mean HP? when I get to higher levels and I have teleportation spells and I don't think you're going <laughs> to let me do them that's going to be problematic just <laughs> no, at all instantaneous spells not like travel yeah I mean the bag that's of holding I feel like is also there, there, that can there just not items. exist in the world, though. Like, because we've got yeah, our own. I mean, like, sort of. Yeah, you mean fundamental kind of mechanically mechanics. problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Hmm. Well, that was too much silence for a held for advantage. A you know how sometimes you can give out advantage to players, or like what's it called? It's there is a name for it. When... Advantage. No, like when you say so Inspira- inspiration. Inspiration. That's the one. It's a little boost. You can do it, folks. I because really you were nice to that peasant man earlier. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, but you can feel good about yourself and then like have a bit more confidence. And I'm sure there must be some science in why being confident at things can make you better at them. Yeah, even I, false I confidence. Yeah, I I bet there is. I haven't read any of it. Or a I'm future sure time, because I want to talk about the cold. Let's talk about the cold. Talk about the cold. My character was freezing. We'd all gone out in normal clothes to to a we we sort of travelled north towards the pole I presume above the equator on this little planet we were like up in the foothills of the mountains it started snowing it was the middle of the night we did not bring adequate gear um and uh what happened was I think my character failed a con save and lost two HP is that what happened this was quite a while ago now yeah sounds right quite Um, a lot of your HP as well which out of eight yeah yeah. <laughs> it was very bad. Um, so there are there are two so there are two like quite separate D and D mechanics um, for cold. Which actually that was that was neither of. Um, but, but one of them is um, when you are exposed to cold, um, and it, it was sort of what happened is that in the in the rules you gain a point of exhaustion, um, and the other one is that in D&D there is cold damage. There is a thing called cold damage, which is usually doesn't come from being in the cold, but comes from cast someone casting like cone of cold at you or as a white dragon. And it's just going, oh God, I'm taking cold damage. I'm freezing to death. Um, but I found I found an interesting um, sort of just theory from someone saying cold damage um, is kind of like instantaneous, like cold burns. Like if you dropped like liquid nitrogen on your on your cell, wow. it will burn you. Yeah. Um, and that is actually also very similar to basically what frostbite is. Apart from frostbite, kind of happens very slowly. But what you're doing and that frostbite, I mean, your your skin gets your your body gets cold enough that ice crystals form inside you Eesh. and damage your cells and like little blood vessels blocking off the blood vessels well they um, like they, they rip the cells apart from the inside right if, if like... an ice crystal forms in the liquid inside your cell yeah it breaks it which, which um, is why if you drop flowers in liquid nitrogen the room is suddenly filled with the smell of the flowers because oh, the really? scent producing chemicals are then just dispersed they're like yep yeah, have all of it just have all of the chemicals that's so if you cool. if you sh- if you shove flowers in, suddenly it smells really strongly of flowers. Although if you um, if you freeze things fast enough, I thought it was you can minimize the size of the uh, crystals, right? That's yeah, what they're trying we- to do with like freezing people. Yeah, because that's the, if you you see that in um, geology, the, the longer a uh, like a formation cools over, the larger the crystals are. So volcanic rocks that are ejected quickly have very small crystals. Yeah, exactly. So, so the same happens if, with ice cream, I think. But if you have a flower, which is actually quite a large, like thing, then you mm, drop it in liquid nitrogen. It freezes the outside enough. instantly, but it takes a little while for the yeah. stuff on the inside to freeze, so the crystals will be a bit bigger, maybe. Yeah. But so, if you mm. do it with a little slice of tissue, then poof, it is insta frozen. 
theoretically you could freeze things fast enough that you wouldn't rip cells apart with with ice crystals um but so that's... is that what is that ripping apart thing what happens with um cold burn um i think so yeah i think it's i think it's that it's it's cold enough that ice crystals form in the tissues and breaks the cells and thus kills the cells and it's it, you know that it, you're, you're, the tissue is, is is dying um and that's why when you have frostbite um eventually if it's really bad your toes go turn black and then fall off oh no not good it's this not is good. the issue with all those people who cryogenically frozen themselves isn't it it's like yeah hey well done yeah. you did it they but did. unfortunately well, as soon as you're unfrozen you're dead you're just it, a dead you're they are dead happen to be frozen. I, I don't think there's any way around it unfortunately now that like there might be a way in the future that we can cryogenically freeze people and bring them back but the way we've done it so far those people are dead now I, so I don't... do you want to know something really grim from my lab days? Go on. Did you freeze someone, I... Ali? Mm, pretty close. Um, so, well, not me specifically, but there's a way of preparing tissue if you want to prepare brain tissue. Um, and what you do is you basically you want to get it as cold as possible, as quickly as possible, so that you stop it from... Uh, whatever that word is, um, doing all its stuff. So what you do is you take the, this only works on animals, if you're gonna work on animals. You take your animal, you open it up, so you anesthetize it, it's still alive, you open it up, and then you, this is gonna get grim, so shout me out if, if there's going no further. All right, I'm going. You open it up, and then you put a needle into the heart, so you, you put this big old, like, uh, sort of, like an IV drip needle, into the heart and then you start perfusing ice cold saline so salt solution into the heart and then that goes through the entire uh, vasculature the blood system and up, all the way up into the brain and it cools everything down while so the blood comes out and the the cold solution goes in and then the thing is alive because it's oxygenated right so it can still live off this stuff so it's alive oh. until it's cooled until the point where it's so dead is it like it, the opposite it of the boiling a frog like slowly boiling a frog is it the opposite well, it, of that it's not awake right it's right. it's alive but not awake and then until the point where you cool it enough so that the heart is not really beating fast enough for it to be considered alive and then you cut off its head and then it's definitely dead and then the point being that like that's a good rule of thumb for death but the point being that when you then slice its brain the brain comes sort of pre-refrigerated and um, so oh. it takes less damage from the horrific slicing process hmm. kind of ties in with the fact that it is much easier to um cool in that case but also warm yourself up by drinking something warm and getting the warmth inside you than it is trying to just warm yourself from the outside i thought so you weren't meant a... to do that i thought you were meant to oh, really? i thought when it's hot you're meant to drink tea to cool yourself down yes i do well, yeah but, but it's not it's, the same the other when way it's around. cold yeah no when it's cold okay. that makes sense drink you can warm, drink, drink i mean i do water. yeah it would yeah. nothing would stop me drinking tea but it, yeah. it's it's kind of like it's, if you're in a survival situation um and you can and you can make a fire like heat up and, and like try and sip warm water because you'll warm up a lot quicker if you can this is useful information you. I've got all these survival tips other tips now. do you have well Charlie? I was going to ask you right so our our so so forgetting frostbite for a while the other thing is like just being really cold hypothermia that kind of thing um so we were kind of like let's say yeah we were in a survival situation we were like 
locked outside. We had no shelter. We had no fire. What do you think are some of the things that our characters could have, should have done if we'd had to spend longer there or, or to try and like... I can technically light a campfire. Oh, great. So good. that would have been good. a good thing to do. I like that, yeah. But obviously at the time we were trying to be stealthy and hide, so we didn't want <laughs> to do that. If you bubble, if bubble. you did create a campfire or set me on fire, Uriel would be warm for the rest of his life. Uh, technically yeah. true. <laughs> the best kind of true. Were <laughs> you saying cuddles, Ali? A cuddle puddle, yeah. Cuddle puddle. It made me really sad when we were talking about that in game that actually Infinity would just be cold and yeah, like probably not yeah. very nice to cuddle. And I was like, oh no, poor Infinity. Yeah. And if it potentially like, depending on the kind of metal, could just be very bad taking the heat away, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the other thing is doing exercise, right? Because the physical, yeah. using the energy in your exactly. muscles does generate so, heat. So when you, when you start getting cold, you start shivering. And that mm. is your body saying, I need heat right now more than I need like the energy that I'm using up. Um, which is why it's also really important to eat and have food and have like simple sugars um, in order to to get enough energy. Um, and shivering, uh, if you, if firstly, if you're sh- like, if you start shivering uncontrollably, you know you should be able to physically be able to stop yourself. So if you start shivering uncontrollably, that's getting bad. If you or if you if someone stops shivering, it is very bad. That sounds in terms of yeah. That's oh. like a horror thing, isn't it? Like, yeah, it, it, oh, it's it, bad that this is happening. It, mean, it means it they're suffering stops. from, <laughs> yeah, yeah, from like, you know, more than just like mild hypothermia. Like they are going to be very ill. And hypothermia also just like muddles your brain. So it's very hard if it's happening to you to be no. able to like notice. And then it kind yeah. of stops your ability to, you know, light a fire and do all those other things. Question. I have heard, I don't know if this is true. Hmm. People get really hot eventually when they get hypothermia. Is that paradoxical right? undressing? Yes, yeah, you take all of your clothes off. And that yeah, yeah, they start stripping. So I, I don't nearly I... did it. My God. <laughs> I'm having a real night today. Like it's I don't know if it if it I don't think it's like every time uh you will take all your clothes off, but um <laughs> although there is there is one situation in which you should get naked if it's very cold. Just to bring that up. To go to a finished situation. If you if you're wet, if you've fallen in water, you why are you no no that wasn't oh I meant <clears throat> if you find yourself in a cold survival situation I'm just I'm just talking to the audience you guys carry on um and you fall in water or are covered in water often known as being wet then you should take all your clothes off because you lose heat much, much faster when your clothes are wet than when you're dry. So yeah. I too like to take my clothes off when I'm wet. <laughs> Sorry, we need to get Damn a bonk emote. We really need a bonk emote. God's sake. I didn't even anticipate this when I was prepping this. should have known. Sorry. Which is also why if you're doing your, your exercises, right? You're freezing to death. You're like, right, I need to do exercise. I need to warm myself up. You've got to be careful because if you do too much exercise and you actually get warm, you'll start sweating and then yeah. you'll just, I mean, has everyone, has everyone done that? You know, when you hike up a mountain and you're all sweaty and warm and then you sit at the top and then you're like, I'm freezing. Yeah. On top of this mountain. I don't, uh, yes, yes, I get that. It's <laughs> Sorry, I'm still- Are you not a regular to... mountaineer or, oh, right, you're still processing. Oh, okay. I'm trying. Yeah, to think to bear in mind is cold. if it's freezing cold and, and you're also wet, make sure you put something on your head. 
because you lose there was a study i remember that you lost if you you were otherwise clothed you lost 40 percent of all of your heat from transfer from your head which is why at scouts they were like make sure you've got a hat on because you'll lose 40 um is that just true for everyone or is like the amount of hair you have yeah yeah uriel is getting very cold very quickly if if having if having a hat on helps does hair help uh I don't know Probably. what the thermal properties Maybe of hair enough. is. Maybe it depends on how much. My head hair gets really hot in the sun. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good enough to me. Yeah, does it matter? Does the kind of hat like matter as well? Like, do Could they be a all have equal insulating properties? <laughs> do all hats have equal insulating properties? Is that the question? I feel like that's a question which could quite easily be answered. <laughs> no, it's a headline. <laughs> Yes, well, yes. We're, as we're, and the answer is the answer's always no. As we as we you know traipse up the mountain, and thank God we got these sombreros with us. <laughs> they provide just as much heat, <laughs> conserving properties as you know thermals. So, my top tip: get your hat, not your sombrero necessarily. <laughs> um, eat a bunch of food. <laughs> um, try and find shelter. Um, if you happen to have like a lightsaber and a torn torn that recently died, maybe just yeah. Someone Helps if you've there. lost your sense of smell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or your if Luke had long COVID, it would have been a much more pleasant experience. <laughs> oh, get out of the wind! Freaking wind chill, man. Yeah. Mm. Wind chill and for hypothermia, wind chill is huge. Um, it's because of, it's just because of the conduction. It's just because if 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 there's no wind, like there's less conduct conduct you know you you are heating up the air around you and the air around you isn't so you have a little blanket away. of hot air around you all the time yeah, it's weird. you call it a boundary Portion, layer in fluid dynamics yeah, yeah. that's about, why tell me of this boundary layer that's why we have hair the hair is there to trap a layer a very thin layer of air around you which is it's the same principle why fans work and why fans cool you down because if you're moving the air past you you're stripping the warmer layer of air that surrounds you away and then replacing it with colder air that you then rapidly heat up but you feel it as colder air at first. Nice. Does that mean hairier people are hotter? In this sense, yeah. yes. Charmony did it that time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, I don't know what you're talking about. It would explain why, too. but it also explains why animals like bears have, you know, like thick fur. Like it's exactly the same principle. Insulating layers. Where a lot, I mean, where obviously, obviously, like if you're going to be in a cold survival situation, having already bought like a nice big like jacket and everything would be the ideal, or just like not. And then know, grow loads of hair. Out of nowhere. <laughs> and then get hair. But if you've got the jackets, you don't need the hair. That's what I'm saying. You can be prepped. Cool. Uh, don't drink alcohol. Alcohol messes up your like body's ability to thermoregulate sensibly. Don't like this anymore. Yeah, because that's enjoying there's your there's tips. Just when you just when you're gonna freeze, might freeze to death, Bates. It's just the but, one time. Always, but on, there is no, the story, Bates. isn't there, about the I think it's the chef on the Titanic. He survived because he just necked like bottle after bottle of brandy. So he, I think, had massive frostbite because he couldn't regulate the temperature in his extremities, but he felt warm. <laughs> How does that help? And he survived. Oh, he, he lived. <laughs> Mm. But there's something about shock as well isn't it because like you can be all right and then you can get shock and then that can mm. i mean that shock will trigger your extre- you to go very cold and like blood mm. flow to be shut off to your extremities which has nothing to do with temperature right mm. but it's like you can trigger the same sorts of systems through psychological stress whereas if you're a chef and you've just necked like all of your cooking brandy you're presumably pretty 
you know, upbeat about the whole situation. Yeah. If I was At on least... the Titanic, I would want to be drunk. That is if you're going to die, you're yeah. going to die happy. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, would like, you say necking that many bottles of brandy would make you happy? I think that many bottles of brandy would turn me into crying drunk, Emily. Oh, but no. If you like, accepted that you were going to die, you'd be like, yeah... You know, isn't life beautiful? With the, for these bo- empty bottles of brandy floating around you. Or you'd you be and, crying. Yeah, yeah. people like, dying. Yeah. But it's also very, it's true That's to good. life. If anybody's played Skyrim or Morrowind, what do you do when you go into like an encounter? You neck every potion you have. All he was doing was following the Elder Scrolls method. Of He also presumably ate like eight wheels of cheese and, you know, lots of uncooked vegetables. He He's was the chef. Medical marvel. <laughs> Let's do the science of how that works in Skyrim. <laughs> no, oh god, that's I mean, but also the carrying weight. Like oh, well, yeah. somebody did do, I remember this, somebody did the analysis on Steve, like your Minecraft character. How strong are you? Because <laughs> it's like you have the grid of what you can carry with you, right? And you can have 64 blocks of something in each slot. So somebody worked out that the densest thing in the game was gold. And if you filled every single slot in your inventory with 64 blocks of gold, it was, and you're walking around completely unimpeded, it's the weight of the Eiffel Tower just in your pocket. Wow. Go like Steve. It's wildly unrealistic. There's Can we pause because there's a raid happening and say, oh, hi. Yes, we'll, have, we'll, have to, we'll have delete to it from the podcast. We'll delete this from the podcast. <laughs> but hello, Froodles Doodles. Thank you very much for the raid. You, jo- you join hello. us for discussing the biology of frost damage and uh, just generally cold damage, I suppose, in D&D. Um, we are probably relatively close, I suppose, towards the end of the discussion, but we've just broken out of this. We don't normally interact with chat much. This is because you're special. You're special. Very special. Thank you very much <laughs> for the raid. But I guess the question was, right, for you, your character, um, Sharmini, being mm. outside in mm. this sort of deep snow mountain kind of mm. arena, what kind? And you took two points of damage, right? Which in yeah. theory is twenty five percent of your total <laughs> HP. <laughs> so, yeah. what? How? How did that damage? Would that damage have manifested? Uh, for hypothermia. Sim- <clears throat> Let me just read my notes on the symptoms of hypothermia. It's not good. It's not good. So, start off. Don't your limbs drop off and stuff? But this all comes down to what we're calling HP, though. Hypothermia is lowering of of core body temperature. So it's it's your your body temperature goes down and then your organs start shutting down. So there's two different ways that things can go wrong. Either you can, like, shut the whole body down very bad or you can just freeze a bit off and then it snaps off. Sacrifice the the limbs, yeah. But it's usually both, isn't it, if you're exposed and out there. I'm not sure how it works in terms of because for frostbite, you know, sometimes it's permanent loss of fingers or yeah. toes or what you have can't you. Can't save them, yeah. But I don't like what is the Noses threshold sometimes. What is the threshold at which oh. like it is irrecoverable? Because you, you hear stories all the time of people getting frostbite, but it eventually return. You know, they get mm. function back. So just yeah, regeneration. Like yeah. yeah, that's a really interesting one because we've not talked about that at all. Not even when we were talking about like healing and stuff like that, the regenerative potential of like biological tissue. Because some things, you know, they can do whole legs, right? That's the lizard from yeah. Spider Man. And if we're talking like tips of fingers and extremities, I don't know the numbers, but I think they have a higher turnover yeah. rate anyway than like other cells in your body. Oh, so really? I think so. Your fingernails definitely go quick, obviously, because they grow. Um, but because what is it? Every seven years, you're a completely new person. Oh yeah. Because oh, a ship of Theseus o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Love but like, because but but also on the other like, because if you um, restrict blood flow to an area for a certain amount of time, 
it is it can be fatal to restore it right because that's what happened in 127 yeah. hours like even if they discovered him yeah. Yeah. and yeah. lifted the rock off it probably would have killed him it's, the, it's the same it's the same for for frostbite like the rewarming has to be done quite carefully and there's extra yeah. damage that's caused um when you when you like start recovering again so there's the initial damage and then like as as the blood flow starts back in again it causes further damage although i'm not sure there's anything you can necessarily do about that yeah because when i used to do cross country at my school um it was always in winter and they our pe kit was this ludicrous like short shorts and then like a um what's called like a vest (laughs) and so you were like right go out and run you know five kilometers and they used to say to you when he came back like right don't I know it's tempting, but don't put your hands on the radiator because, like, you've lost all sensation in the hand, but it will do you more damage if you actually just put them on the radiator. I assume for that reason. Or is it because you've actually deadened some of the nerve endings mm, in your hand and so you just leave your hand on the radiator for ages and you're like, oh, yeah. okay, oh, no, it's on um, Yeah. Yeah. But also, I, I just Googled something. I'm sorry, I broke the rule. But you're not allowed to Google, all... Ali. <laughs> you're not an expert. We put I lied, rules. I lied, I lied. I didn't Google it at all. I Googled it in my mind, mind Google. I mind Googled this, that there are things called cold shock proteins, oh. um, which are triggered by cold shocks. And what then they do, they, they do, well, from this brief excursion into my mind Google, <laughs> I would tell you that um, <laughs> they bind RNA and DNA. And oh. that's all I'm going to tell you. Um, but well, yeah, I mean, they clearly- That's homework, everyone. Read about cold shock proteins. <laughs> I don't know if they're protective or not, but they exist. So. Oh. Do, you, do you all have time for one more deeply disturbing and horrible Always. story tangentially oh. related to being cold? Absolutely. Yes. Content warning for everyone. It's not oh. good. It's, 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 it's gruesome. Um, so, yeah, this, like, this is um, uh, tangentially related in that it's about some people who several of whom froze to death um but i made a uh, film on it for work um a few months ago and out of all the films i've made it's one of the ones that really uh, stuck with me and it was about the mystery of the dyatlov pass yes i too have worked on a documentary on this but i worked on a documentary on this all years ago we'll just say years ago uh, when i was just starting out in telly and it was like a docudrama looking at like all these like weird mysteries from that came out from behind the Iron Curtain when it fell. And it like, there were a lot of things like, was it a Yeti and like things like that in it. So, um, but I think they, they definitely talked about- discovery? It was, it was an American on show, right? Animal Planet and Nat Geo. And I'm in some of the episodes cause I was on work experience and they needed an extra person to run around being scared of things. To play the Yeti. Oh, yeah. It is it is the kind of story and mystery that that yeah they've made like films inspired by mm-hmm. it and there's quite a lot of like spooky YouTube series guys going what happened that night but it is like it is a still unsolved and very very creepy mystery so yeah. um uh 1959 uh Soviet Russia a group of young uh students sort of early 20s um who were all very like Um, outdoorsy type people decided to go on a cross-country sort of hike slash skiing slash camping trip across the Ural Mountains. 
Um, so off they went um, with skis and tents and, and cameras and diaries. Um, and then they never arrived at the other end. Um, and people eventually started to get a bit worried that they hadn't turned up. It was, this was a, like a massive long trek through sort of complete wilderness. Um, and they sent out search parties. Um, and the search party um, eventually found, well, the first thing they found was the remains of their tent. Someone spotted a tent pole sticking up out of the snow. The tent had been cut open from the inside. When they looked in, um, their boots were still there, most of them, all their belongings were there, um, and there was absolutely no sign of them at all. Um, and they eventually then uh, searched around that area. They found another uh, two of them, I think, um, further down this slope by a tree line um, where there were the remains of a fire. Um, and they'd, I think, died of, of hypothermia in the end. They found another three of them um, who had, it looked like they were basically at different places coming like back up the slope towards the tent, um, like they had, uh, you know, like decided to try and get back to it um, and sort of basically died where they were in the snow at different times. Um, and then some months later, they eventually found the others. Um, they found, um, and this is another uh, survival tip, um, they had created a, so, so a key thing about when it's really cold is you want to get off the ground because um, you lose a lot of heat through the ground. So they, they found this, a sort of like, um, like sort of platform where they put loads of branches down, and put clothes on it. Um, and that's sort of kind of thing, one of the things that you're, you're supposed to do in order to, to not be in contact with the ground. Um, and nearby, nearby they found the final three bodies. Some of those bodies were missing their eyeballs. One of them was missing yeah. a tongue. And not all of these people died from hypothermia. Some of them died from um, what looked like a really strong impact um, so, you know, they had, uh, one of them had a, a crushed skull, um, a couple of them had broken ribs. Um, there was, wasn't really like marks on the outside, like if someone had sort of punched them. It looked a bit more like if you're in a car crash and you have like the impact that breaks things. Mm -hmm. um, and this, the other thing is that because this was in Soviet Russia, um, it, people didn't talk about it much, it wasn't publicized much. And every, every, everything that the government sort of said, no one believes anything that the Russian government says, basically. Because <laughs> um, they, did, they did another um, public sort of inquiry on it a few years ago and, and um, sort of no, everyone was like, yeah, no, but we don't believe you. So there is so many sort of conspiracy theories. Like it was a Yeti, it was secret government testing. Um, oh yeah, aliens. It was probably aliens. Um, I didn't think I ever heard the aliens one. <laughs> they, they'd stumbled across like a secret, yeah, a secret weapon, and then the military had like murdered them. And, and, and there was something about, oh, there's radiation on their clothing, and like that means they were exposed to, yeah. I don't know, maybe it was like nuclear testing or something. Yes, I remember the, I remember the radiation <laughs> now. Now you said it. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose, but with the, the stuff that was non hypothermia, there's no way of knowing if that happened before or after death, right? Yeah, because I think one of the one of the like, if you're trying to sensibly explain it as well as you possibly can try, is that it was 
hypothermia, but some of them fell and got attacked by an animal before they actually died of the hypothermia. So, but it's still weird. I still think it's weird that they ch- cut out of the tent. That's, that's why. That's, yes. So the, yeah. the coroner, the coroner said that they, some of them had died of those injuries and not of hypothermia, which doesn't. Yeah, but I think one of the like sensible explanations was an animal attacked them while they were. So the yeah. reason I made a film about this is a, a recent paper. Um, which was looking into one of the theories in particular, which was that while they were sleeping in the middle of the night, an avalanche fell on them, basically. Oh. And this had, this was kind of, this has been a theory for a while, but there's lots of reasons to dismiss it. Like they, they, knew, what they, were, they knew what they were doing and they would not have pitched a tent somewhere where there was going to be an avalanche. Mm. Um, you, you know, you want, basically you want a, a less than 30 degree slope um, and it, it, when they went there to the place where the tent was pitched, they didn't see any of these signs of like snow everywhere, like big sort of sign of the snow having moved. Um, it looked like a gentle slope. Um, so these um, researchers uh, basically, oh, have we lost Ali? No, I think he's oh, just oh, deep in thought. Oh, no. Oh, I'm so him. deep in so much thought. He's communi- communicating telepathically. Oh, no, he's, he's doing it normally again. John <laughs> did it really. So they, they looked into, could it have been a, a um, avalanche? And they were looking into basically a particular kind of avalanche called a slab avalanche, which is basically you've got all this packed snow and then you've got a weak layer underneath where the snow doesn't stick together. So it's essentially like the whole thing mm. is on ball bearings and you could get a, a, a sort of chunk of packed snow that could slide down and, and land on you. They were also sleeping, um, they're, all their tent... Uh, uh, sorry, all their skis were under the tent. So it's like a hard surface. Um, and they, they, these researchers basically looked at like car crash data that people had done decades ago about car crashes against different kinds of materials. And the injuries seemed to match basically a huge heavy weight landing on you if you were if you were lying flat on a, on a really hard oh. surface and, hmm. and it could, you know, break the ribs, break the skull. And the idea is that the, the slope, although the surface of the slope was less than um, 30 degrees, like underneath, there was a slight hump, which meant that actually at that point, it was slightly closer. Um, winds during the night could have pushed more snow onto that, suddenly sort of tipping the scales. They would have suddenly woken up being like crushed and injured um, in the night, not knowing what was happening. Um, and... I mean, what what were what were their thought processes at, at that point? Because yeah, they so they basically they all made their way down to the tree line um, to try yeah. and and try and try to lit a fire, and it didn't work. Um, and what, once they'd left the tent in the middle of the night in those freezing temperatures, you yeah. can't go back. That's great. That that makes a lot of sense. Apart from the crushed skull, somehow still made it out of the tent. Yeah, how could have carried it with them? Maybe. I have a feeling the footprints. This feels like the Joe Rogan podcast again. This (laughs) we're talking about conspiracy. It's entirely possible. There's a lot of data (laughs) that that, suggests that they were already dead while they were walking out of the tent. What do you think about that? (laughs) They're actually zombies. Impossible. They're attacked by a gorilla. Do you think you could take a gorilla in a fight? I heard they didn't actually (laughs) die. You know what? I know a guy who does that. He does it on (laughs) every time, every Friday. I can introduce you to him. Yeah. Oh. Oh, it's the gorillas here. End of Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. So what you're saying is this was the potential, like one. If we'd stayed up there for the stakeout, we could have ended up with our own Dyatlov Pass incident. Well, we they found... 
they knew two, what they were doing. And two humans just they there frozen. They knew all the survival, you know, lighting a fire, making a shelter. Um, but that was extreme, extreme conditions. Um, we 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 had some light snow, um, but I don't know. Yeah, but we know nothing. I feel like well, we could have quite possibly, uh, yeah. But so, what we do know about, as we've established in the course of this episode, is that leveling up in D and D does make some kind of sense. It makes more sense than we thought it did. You can get better at things. And yeah. sometimes when you sleep, you get much better at things when you wake and up. It doesn't have to be the thing that you necessarily practiced. Yeah. Uh, and, we, you know, there is a lot, there is the science of, you know, doing cold damage. And I feel like we've, you can get hurt by being too cold. That is. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Also, points, so far, points of exhaustion, you could sort of map them onto hypothermia. Um, you get points of exhaustion. When you get cold, you get points of exhaustion. And then you that. get bad at doing stuff, which kind of, which kind of that makes sense. sense. Like you're bad at doing stuff once you start getting sort of like. I don't know if being cold and... makes you exhausted. I'm just not sure that that sort of. It's out. a point of exhaustion though, so it's not so necessarily. One point of exhaustion really, like, means that you'll have disadvantage on all ability checks. Yeah. And the second so, like, one you're means so your speed cold. is halved, and the third one means you have disadvantage on attack rolls. Um, so it's it's. Yeah, that sort of muddles your mind, I suppose, map. but. It's the, yeah, I like the I like the sort of mind muddling, muddling like getting getting a bit slow, mm. uh, not being able to maybe physically do things. It doesn't doesn't quite map, but I feel like if this happens again, we could make it much more accurate. We could all yeah. do the symptoms of hypothermia. Well, that's the important thing is that so like it's it's kind of like a, it's it's a feedback loop, right? Because like we yeah. we talk mm. about stuff that happens in the campaign, and then the stuff we talk about here informs how Ali yeah interesting <laughs> does the campaign because we have very limited power. We're yeah. like we're like you know Gandalf in Court of Theoden, um, so <laughs> basically but we are probably, Gandalf still. We did so have the power here, out. so it was actually ironic <laughs> that they said you have the power here. So actually, yeah. we do have the power as players because we are creating the story oh, Just indirectly. It's, beautiful. it's a beautiful metaphor for DC. <laughs> so that's probably a good point to wrap up the show. Um, yeah. We're going to be back next week with the actual kind of adventure. Uh, we have just advanced the plot. In the previous session, so there's lots yeah. of stuff to talk about oh in the next god, episode. Found stuff out. Level. Oh my god, we did find so much stuff. MacGuffins mm. galore. And we leveled up, so there's Buffins. exciting stuff for next week. If you'd like MacGuffins. to catch up on the adventure, then it's all available on wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube. It's uh, available. Uh, well, will be streamed here on Twitch live. But if you'd like to watch the video on demand, then definitely go over to the RP Geeks YouTube channel. Um, the I podcast think... is an episode behind because um, I had annoying people staying in my house this weekend so i didn't get around to doing it oh <laughs> it wasn't a, they were annoying oh. they were lovely they were these people they were stabbed through the boob oh. hole How <laughs> dare you? Oh. look at it tying all the things together yeah oh. callbacks well shall we say goodbye and then we will uh end the video in the podcast thank I you think we should very much for listening slash watching however you choose to consume us uh, that sounded strange. That's Vaughn. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. um, God, I got everybody else to face palm at least once during this video. That's good. Um, so, thank you for watching. It's goodbye from me, and it's goodbye from all the RP geeks. If you want to say Bye. goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. See you next time. Bye.